hope came down. Wow, that is the word of the evening, that the birth of Jesus Christ is everlasting hope coming down into your life, into my life. I hope you've enjoyed our Christmas celebration to this point. And here's some wonderful good news. Uh, Our Christmas celebration will be available online all the way until the end of Christmas Day. So I want you to feel free to share this with your family and friends. Invite others to come and view this uh, worship celebration again uh, between now and Christmas. And uh, may God meet you uh, in this in this season of worship and teaching. Let's uh, take a moment for prayer. God, I want to give you thanks and praise for this day. This is a day that you have made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. God, we're aware of suffering and grief and all the various ways that uh, uh, trouble uh, is challenging our lives. And so, God, I pray for those who are watching me right now. They're, 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 They're looking for, praying for, seeking for some evidence, some sign of hope. I pray, God, that as we teach this message, that the miracle of hope will manifest itself in the lives of the listeners and that that hope will empower them to move forward into a future where you are Lord and Redeemer, where you will have the first and the last word over. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. All right, check out this uh, video. I'll be right back with the teaching in just a moment. Imagine a world without a savior. Think about living in a time when you had only the hope that one day a savior would come. The hope of the savior arriving to a desperate, broken world. People had hope in something they had yet to see. It was a hope so strong that three wise men traveled across the world to find it. A hope so strong that evil wanted to kill it. It was a hope so alive that a star was the constant guide illuminating the journey. And when that hope finally appeared, it didn't fit the worldly expectation of greatness. It was quiet, simple, humble. It was perfect. We are in a season where answers aren't simple. Confusion is the norm. And for some, hopelessness has taken over. How can we discover that there is hope? When you're in a dark place, look for that faint light. That is hope. And like that star that guided those three travelers to the Savior, that glimmer will guide you, the hope that is in Jesus. Where there is hope, there is faith. Where there is faith, miracles happen. I'm so excited that you have joined us tonight for our celebration of the ultimate, authentic Christmas story that is found in the birth of Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, uh, the message that we're driving home tonight, which we've been driving home over the past several weeks, is simply this. No matter how bleak your situation feels, no matter how difficult your circumstances are, because Jesus was born. Because he lived and died and through his resurrection uh, broke the power of permanent death. And because he lives today, there is hope. There's hope now and there shall always be hope. Let's explore this as we look at our text 
the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. It's one of my favorite passages uh, built into the uh, Christmas story surrounding the birth of Jesus. Here's what the writer says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all, for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. There is the reading. If you've been tracking us over the last couple of weeks uh, inside of this series, Hope, you know that I've been making the case that embedded in the birth and life of Jesus is a declaration that says three things about hope. The first it says is that Jesus' birth declares that God is with us. Emmanuel, the angel said to Jacob, God is with us. It is a reminder that when we think about Christmas, Christmas, it's a reminder that Christ is in the mess with us. That whatever your circumstances, whatever your situation, however chaotic, however confusing, or however triumphant and victorious you may find your life to be at this moment, wherever it is, God is in it with you. If there's somebody in the room with you, just tell them God's in it with you. And the second source of hope that's connected to the birth of Jesus is the good news that God is not only with us, but God is ahead of us. I'm reminded that the Apostle Paul wrote these incredible words. He says, God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In other words, that wherever life lands you in tomorrow, wherever you land, God is already there waiting on you. God has already made a provision to help see you through that experience. Can somebody shout hope? Tonight, I want to lift up the third dimension. You know, there is hope connected to the incredible birth and life of Jesus not only because it means that God is with us, not only because God is ahead of us, but there is always hope because the God that I'm talking about is a God who is for us. Yes. If there's somebody in the room with you, just tell them, God's for you. Point at yourself and just say, God is for me. That, that is the power of the message that I want to just drive home for you tonight. Jesus' birth declares God is for you. I wonder, did you catch it in the text that I read right here in Luke chapter 2? It's right there. The angel comes and addresses the shepherds. And here's what he says. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And here it is right here, right in the phrase, great joy for all the people. Did you see it? For all the people. 
It doesn't matter whether you're living in China or you're on the African continent. It does not matter whether you're tall or short or wealthy or poor. It really doesn't. As long as you're part of this family called humanity, the angel says that there's some good news that will cause within you great joy. And the good news is simply this. God is for you. You may see yourself as one who's faithful and living the best you can, a righteous life. The message is God is for you. But you may also see yourself as one who is on the other side of that experience. You may not think of yourself as righteous. You may not think of yourself as a Christian or churchgoer. As a matter of fact, when you think about yourself, maybe you're thinking about your character or you're thinking about your mistakes from yesterday, and you, you, you're, more, you're more apt to think of yourself as an as a unfaithful person or as, as a bad person. Well, whatever your thoughts are, this truth remains the same. God is for you. He's not against you. He's for you. And the birth of Jesus is the declaration of that good news. Now, listen, when we talk about hope, essentially, hope has everything to do with the expectations that we have that shapes how we see tomorrow. And so take a Take a picture, if you will, of this definition of hope right here on the screen. That's, this is what we want to wrestle with tonight. Hope equals seeing. Can somebody shout seeing? Hope equals seeing how God is for us. And I want to say this, how God is always. Can somebody shout always? Always for us. Hmm. Let's talk about some of the ways that God demonstrates in the in the, I, I call it the authentic Christmas story. There are a lot of Christmas stories we watch on TV, we read about, and, and uh, we celebrate as they surround Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and department store shows and, and, and big screen movie shows all around Christmas shows, and a lot of them are wonderful, and that's great. But there's one authentic Christmas story, that, that which is, surrounds the birth of Jesus. And inside of this story we find it echoing in a variety of different ways how God is always for us, how God is always for us. The first is that the God who is for us brings light into darkness. Now, can somebody shout darkness? When you say the word darkness, what you're talking about uh, is that how you're, at least it reminds us of how uh, 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 things are covered up in darkness, how Certain people can't be seen in darkness. Darkness brings a kind of uh, a, a covering. It hides things. Darkness. Can you say darkness? And yet, look at what we learn when we look at this text. It says, now there were shepherds. This is a part of the, of the birth story of Jesus. There were shepherds who were living out in the fields, fields nearby where Jesus was going to be born. Keeping watch guarding their flock, shepherds. Let me just take a few moments and just kind of unpack for you who these shepherds were. These individuals who were shepherds were uh, a combination of people. They were often homeless. They were nomadic, nomadic uh, often poor. Uh, mixed in among them were would-be criminals. Uh, these are not people that you would invite to come have dinner with you or show up in your living room. They, they, they smell like the sheep that they cared for. Oftentimes, they were considered outcast shepherds. 
And what is remarkable is the light that shines in the darkness. Notice the text says that it is the angel of God who comes to these shepherds, these no-name people, these marginalized folk, these outcasts, if you will, the folk that you and I perhaps wouldn't invite uh, to have dinner with. It. The angel comes to them, and the text says that when he appears to them, that the glory of the Lord, that's another word for the word glory, it's another word for the light of God shined around them. Suddenly, they were illuminated. And you know what they realized in that moment? They realized right then in that moment that God saw them. That not only did God see them as they listened to what the angel had to say, they discovered that God had already written them into his story. That they, were, they might have been invisible to the people around them, but they were uniquely visible to God. Oh, do you hear the good news that should bring great joy? That in that moment, the shepherds learned that the God of the universe, who would be ultimately revealed through his son Jesus, was for them and not against them. Yeah. Maybe you're somebody watching this right now and you feel like you're invisible. Maybe you're a high school student who feels like that neither your parents nor your teachers fully understand you. You feel like an, an alien uh, that has kind of dropped in here on the planet. I want you to know that God understands you, God sees you, and God is for you. Maybe you are a person who's up in age, and a lot of your dear friends have passed on, and, and you spend a lot of time alone, at home, by yourself, and, and you feel invisible. And, and, and I, I want you to know that God sees you, that this message is God shining a light on you. This message is God declaring to you that I see you, I love you, I am for you, even in this age, or perhaps especially in this age. Maybe you're watching from a homeless shelter. Maybe you're watching from a prison cell. And I want you to hear good news that should bring great joy to you, that the God that we're celebrating in his son Jesus tonight, he sees you. This message is shining a light on you, and he's declaring to you, I am for you not against you. And somebody say, praise God. Now, while I declare that God sees the invisible and that he is for us, it is also important for me to say in this very moment that God expects, especially those of us who are Jesus followers, to see those who tend to be invisible also. He expects us not only to see them, but he expects us to engage with them. He, he expects that the reality is that they will matter to us. So I want to take a moment and just thank you guys who participated in our Be Rich to Others holiday outreach. Because of you, you know, we mobilized nearly 2,000 hygiene kits to serve the homeless community all over the Bay Area. Because of you, we raised uh, uh, nearly $100,000 that we're giving away to help uh, impact and make a difference in the lives of those who typically uh, understand themselves as being invisible to the largest world, to, to the larger world, both here in the Bay Area and beyond. My prayer, however, is that your extravagant love and generosity that you express through this church will not simply be relegated to Christmas. 
I pray that as we go together into a brand new year, that our hearts will have been transformed by these remarkable acts of love and that we will be prayerful on a daily, on a weekly basis, saying, God, help me to see those that others overlook. Help me to see those who are invisible. And then show me how I can use my talent, my gifts, my resources, my position in life to make a difference, if not for a whole lot of people, at least for just one person who's suffering, one person. Perhaps it means mentoring. Perhaps it means tutoring. Perhaps you're leading a company, and this is a larger question for you. Perhaps you are a policymaker, and you can make. How do we continue to show people that God sees them and that God is for them? We do it by continuing to love and make a difference in their lives. As I think about light shining into darkness, I'm reminded that this authentic Christmas story also shines light on another group of people that's often invisible during this season of Christmas. You know, uh, over the last several months, I've had both the uh, honor and at the same time the heartbreaking uh, experience of walking with a number of parents who have lost their adult children to tragedy. I think the last time I counted was six or seven parents related, connected to this congregation. One tragedy after the other after the other. Most of these young people were in their late 30s or early 40s. Just the other day, I was with one of the members of this congregation as she had to lay to rest uh, her husband of 57 years. These parents, this spouse, They have all had to find their way into Christmas. And so often, people who are grieving uh, horrendous losses, they they, they feel like, you know, they kind of have to put Christmas on hold. They feel like there's no real place for me in the Christmas story when it comes to my grief. I miss all of the lights in the Christmas trees and all of the great movies that we see. Uh, I don't think there's a place for me in the midst of my grief. But, oh, I want you to know that, that, that the, the authentic Christmas story shines a light on this group, reminds us that God sees you and that God is for you. You know, uh, Matthew writes, Uh, 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 another aspect of the Christmas story. And in the Gospel of Matthew, he reminds us about Herod, the king, who had heard about this one called Jesus, who was born the king of the Jews, though Herod was sitting in the king's seat. It was Herod's determination that he needed to find this one Jesus and eliminate him. And so when when the Magi came to town looking for Jesus, he sent them to Bethlehem. And he told them that when you get there and you find this kid, Come back and tell me where he is because I want to go worship him like everybody else. But in fact, he just wanted to find him so he could kill him. Well, the Magi found Jesus, worshiped him, and went another way. When Herod got the news back, he was so angry that he'd been deceived that uh, the last word he heard was that Jesus was in Bethlehem. So he sent soldiers into Bethlehem. And historians think it was about 20 or 30 kids in that small village. But every boy, child, two years old or under, Herod slaughtered him. He slaughtered him trying to kill Jesus. And here's what the writer Matthew says about that occasion. He says, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. And here's what the prophet prophesied about. He saw a day when, when, when this would become true. 
a cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, and Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. There it is right there. That's a part of the Christmas story. That's a part. Parents weeping and mourning and grieving the loss of their kids, taking from them so tragically and so unjustly, weeping and mourning the loss of their loved ones. And not only are they weeping and mourning, but they're also protesting. Can somebody say protesting? Yes, they're protesting. That's what that text meant when they say, when it says that Rachel refused to be consoled. Because her kids were dead. The text is suggesting is that Rachel is saying, don't hush me up from my grief. Don't hush me up from my mourning. If I stop wailing, if I stop grieving, if I stop this demonstrating my sense of loss, you will forget the horrible tragedy that has just taken place here. No, in my grief, I'm protesting. I'm pushing back against the greatest injustice in all of life itself. And that is That's a part of the Christmas story. You're not going to find it in the Hallmark stories that we watch. You won't find it there. You're not going to find it in the department store, uh, a rollout for Christmas. No, you won't find it there. You won't find it in in the Santa Claus uh, stories that we read. But you will find it in the authentic Christmas story. The reminder that the, the God of the universe who shows up in Jesus is for you. The one who weeps and mourns, and protests, and push back against all the ways injustice has impacted your life and left you wounded. So here's the insight. The God who is for us welcomes our weeping and our protests, whether it's the loss of our loved ones or other ways that injustice has scarred our lives. Might I remind you right here that the baby Jesus grew up And we find him in the Gospel of John, standing in front of Mary, who lost her brother Lazarus untimely. And she's standing before this Jesus, and she's weeping, and she's mourning, and in her own way, she's protesting. She says, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. She's she's, she's sharing her anger, not just with Jesus, but even at him. And this Jesus, who reveals to us a God that we can trust, he doesn't push back on her. What does he do? The text says he weeps with her. The text says he enters into the anger alongside of her, even though he knows he's going to overturn it ultimately and bring Lazarus back from the dead. But in that in-between time, he shares in the weeping. He shares in the anger. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, if you're weeping, Christmas is for you. The Jesus who reveals that God is for us is here to comfort you and be with you in the experience. And then as we think about how God is with us, I want you to think about uh, this point. As we go back, notice how the angel ends that good news uh, that he shares. He says, today in the town of David, Notice the three titles he gives to Jesus. He says, the Savior, that's one title, has been born to you, a God who's for you. He is 
the Messiah. That's the second title. He is the Lord. The Savior is the one who comes and rescues us and comforts us. But then he says that Jesus is the Messiah. Check this point out. I want to make sure you get this point. The God who is for us offers to redeem our view of ourselves. You know, uh, in, the, in, the, in the biblical days, the Messiah was one who was anointed of God, who would come and, and lay claim to those who were God's people. Those folk who had been, in a sense, marked, marked off as God's people. He would come and deliver them. You know, the other day I uh, had the privilege of baptizing a young woman who's a part of our NBCC community. And I shared with her in that baptism moment, I said, listen, one of the things that baptism means is this, that in the act of baptism, the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart as you make a public testimony that you have surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, confirming the work of redemption and salvation within you. Or to put it another way, the Holy Spirit is spiritually marking you. The Holy Spirit is spiritually applying to your heart a tattoo that has a message on it. And the message on the tattoo is straight from God. And the message says from God, you are mine. Oh, uh, you know, the words that God speaks in Isaiah uh, comes Full circle here as we think about the tattoo that God puts on the heart of all of those who allow him to redeem us. You know, he says, don't be afraid. He says, I have redeemed you. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters and pass through the fire, I will be with you. And I told that young lady, I said, you know, you're going to have some fabulous days of faithfulness. And, and God is going to declare, you are mine. And then you're going to have some other days where you're not going to be as faithful. You're going to find yourself falling in the valley of despair and failures and all of that. But that same God who loves you with an everlasting love will still declare, you are mine. You've been marked by my grace. And the moment you realize that that God shows up in Jesus and declared uh, 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 that, that, that he, he, he loved us so that while we were still sinners, he died to set us free from shame and guilt so that we can experience that love. When you realize that, that is the strength that allows you to get up and keep moving towards his purpose. You've been marked. You've been anointed. You've been tattooed. But the good news that should bring you great joy, that God is for you, always for you, never against you. And then, you know, here's the final point. But just before, let me just say one more thing. As I think about this notion of being marked by God, I'm reminded about my own childhood. You know, I was scarred as a little baby, marked by tragedy. Uh, my first years were trying to work my way as a special needs student uh, through school, marked by the challenge of special needs. The kids picked on me and laughed at me and overlooked me and rejected me, marked by the rejections of people. But one day, after going to church for years, I decided to trust this Jesus that my granduncle had been preaching about. I decided to invite him, the Messiah, to come into my life. I heard that, that if I invited him in my life, he could turn my life around. 
And do you know that when I made that commitment to Jesus, I discovered that he had already made a commitment to me. And I discovered that, that he had already marked me with his everlasting love. And the mark that he put on my life was more weighty than the mark of tragedy, was more weighty than the mark of being rejected. As a matter of fact, it took those scars of yesterday's pains and transformed them into a witness of tomorrow's glory. It reminds, reminded me, and I remind you, that the mark, the tattoo, God's love on your life that says he's for you declares that everyone who thinks that you're, everyone who says, I'm a nobody, I just want you to know, with God, you are somebody. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a future with a hope. Because I'm for you and I'll always be for you. Here's the last point. Notice I use the term offer. He offers this ability to redefine how you think about yourself. You have to accept the offer. And here's the last point. The God who is for us offers to reconstruct our view of the future. Our view of the future. You know, it's the last thing that the angel says is that not only is he Savior, not only is he Messiah, but the angel says he's Lord. The actual Greek behind that suggests what he's really talking about is absolute authority that he's king. And in that day, Caesar Augustus was the king, and he had been adopted by Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar has died, and Augustus has deified his old man in death. And, 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 and so folk called Augustus the son of God. And because he was so successful in moving the Roman Empire from being uh, uh, simply a republic into an empire, and all of the blessings of the Roman Empire spread across the world, folk often referred to him as the savior of the world. But the angel was saying, don't get confused. That's not the savior of the world. That is not the king. The one that's born in Bethlehem, he is the king of kings and lords of lords. He is the king of all ages. And if you're going to put your lot with somebody, put your lot with him. And now, centuries, millennia later, when we think of the name Caesar, it's attached to a pizza, or maybe somebody calls that name the dog. But when you think of Jesus, that is the name, come on now, that has marshaled the forces of believers throughout the centuries that have pushed back against slavery, that gave birth to what we now call hospitals and hospices and universes that have transformed the world following his kingship. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Christians call this season the Advent season. It suggests the coming of Jesus, not just as a baby being born, but it reminds us that he's coming again. He's coming. We're talking about it's the second coming of Jesus. Oh, the king is coming. That's what the word Advent means. The king is coming. The king is coming. And so I just want to say to you, here's where our ultimate hope is. The second coming theologically means this, that God thinks too much of his creation. That God loves humanity too much to allow the weakness of humanity to destroy what he has created. And so the text tells us that at the right time, when it looks like it's all going to be lost, the clouds will be broken and that Jesus himself will come back again and assume authority. And I heard one writer declare uh, that, that, that Jesus will, will, say, will make all things new. 
good news, guys. So don't worry about the geopolitical politics that we see. It's not politics. It's not the military. It's not the economy that's ultimately going to save our world, that's ultimately going to save history. It is the God that showed up in Jesus that's going to ultimately redeem and bring salvation and hope and restore the balance of justice in the world. But in the meantime, you and I, we keep working for righteousness, keep working for justice, because as we do, we prepare the way for the coming of the King of the Lord, Jesus the Christ. You see, guys, that's hope because he's coming again. You know why? Because God is for us. It's for you. It's for me. Death will not have the last word. Evil will not have the last word. Hell itself will not have the last word. The text says he'll do away with all of that. Because you know why? He's king of kings, lords of lords, the triumphant one, the savior, the messiah. My Lord. There's hope, friends, because Jesus is for us. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Amen.